I'm Jasleen, and you're listening to Let's Unpack, a podcast meant to debrief you on tough topics through good conversation. So being that this is the first episode, I spent a lot of time deciding how I wanted to format it, how I wanted to introduce myself to you, and what I wanted to talk about. And what I soon realized was that I don't want to waste any time. I have a lot to say, and I want to start doing it right away. So I'm going to be starting off this podcast with a three-episode series on prison abolition. Um, It's a topic that I've been interested in for some time now, and I'm going to elaborate on that as I go along. But as you can see from the title, this first episode is going to be about the Palestinian struggle for freedom. Uh, The next episode in the series will talk about mass incarceration in the U.S., the prison industrial complex, the policing system. Um, And the third episode will talk about prison abolition as a concept. What does it mean? Who popularized it? And how does it relate to Palestine and the U.S.? Um, And I also hope that that episode will add more clarity on what the United States and Palestine have to do with each other. Yes, they are in two different corners of the world, but I'm hoping that by explaining how this topic unites them both, you can see the trends, you can see the themes, and all of this begins to make a lot more sense to you. So I'm going to get into it and start breaking down the Palestinian struggle for freedom. And I really hope that you find it interesting and I hope that you tune in for the next episode and the one after that to finish out the series. To begin this episode, I want to start by giving you a brief history of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I want to talk about how it originated and how it's evolved over the years because I think that's going to give us a lot of insight into the Free Palestine movement as well as why prison abolition is a possible and also favorable solution to these problems in that area. So this conflict is 100 years old. Uh, During the Ottoman Empire, the Palestinian land was shared mostly by Muslims and Christians, but some Jewish people were also settled there. Around this time, people began developing a very distinct Palestinian identity. At the same time, however, Jewish people in Europe began joining a movement called Zionism. This promoted the idea that Judaism wasn't just a religion, but also a nationality, meaning that they deserved their own land, especially after centuries of persecution. Zionism ended up becoming even more popular because in the next decade, World War I happened, and this led to even more Jewish people moving to Palestine because they ended up considering it their safe haven in the Middle East. Um, Also during this time, the Ottoman Empire fell, and the British started taking interest in Palestine. Ultimately, Palestine fell to British control. And at first, the British welcomed Jewish immigration, but after a while, tensions between Arabs and Jews started increasing, so the British actually limited Jewish immigration. Um, And then soon after that, the Holocaust happened, which led to the number of Jewish immigrants going back up once again. This also gathered a lot of worldwide support for the Zionism movement because people felt like they needed a Jewish state, again, because of that safe haven idea. The sectarian violence, however, did continue in that area um, between the Arabs and the Jews, so the United Nations actually stepped in and proposed a split of the land. They said that some land would go to Israel and some would go to Palestine. This plan from the UN also designated Jerusalem to be an international zone because it had so much religious significance to a number of religions. 
Um, and they thought that this was a good plan because it gave Jewish people a state and it gave Arab people independence. So hopefully violence in that area would cease. The Jewish population in Palestine said yes, they liked this idea. But the Arab population in Palestine saw this plan as just another form of European colonialism and stealing land. Because of this sentiment, a lot of neighboring Arab nations declared war on Israel in response, leading to the Arab-Israeli war, which only lasted for a year, but Israel did emerge victorious at the expense of many Palestinian lives. In the process, they also expanded their boundaries, which were given to them by the UN, and took a lot more Palestinian land than they were supposed to, including the western half of Jerusalem. They also expelled many Palestinians from their homes, resulting in a very large refugee crisis, and in the end, Israel took over all of the land in that area except for Gaza, which was under Egyptian control, and the West Bank, which was under Jordanian control. During this time, even more Jewish people arrived in Israel from neighboring Arab states. Then, in 1967, the conflict transformed once more, and this transformation marks the beginning of the modern Arab-Israeli conflict. So, during that year, the Six-Day War happened between Israel and neighboring Arab states. By the end, Israel emerged victorious again and seized Sinai from Egypt, Golan Heights from Syria, the West Bank from Jordan, and Gaza also from Egypt, and those two last territories are going to be very important, so keep those in mind. This left Israelis in charge of governing all native Palestinians. In 1978, Israel and Arabs signed the Camp David Accords. This resulted in Israel giving Sinai back to Egypt. This was very controversial, but in the end, it actually led to a lot of other Arab nations slowly making peace with Israel. However, Israeli military was still occupying West Bank and Gaza. This uh, development where other Arab nations were kind of turning their backs uh, led to the Arab-Israeli conflict turning into a Palestinian-Israeli conflict. At this point, it was up to the Palestinians to fight for their own sovereignty, so the Palestinian Liberation Organization formed. At first, they wanted to end Israel entirely. This led to incessant fighting for years. But then PLO said that it would settle for dividing the land between Israel and Palestine, which, if you remember, is the way that it was supposed to be all along. As all of this was going on, even more Jewish people started settling in the Israeli-occupied Arab lands of Gaza and West Bank. This is the point where policing really comes into play for the first time. As settlers moved in, soldiers followed them to essentially guard the Jewish population. Um, Short term, this essentially imprisoned Palestinians in their own homes. Long term, this made it pretty impossible for Palestinians to even dream of freedom. As a result, tensions built and built until finally, um, in 1987, the first Intifada happened. And this lasted until 1993. It began with protests and boycotts, and in some cases even became violent, which is something that I'm going to talk about more in episode 3. But anyway, Israel responded to this with very heavy force. There were thousands of Palestinian casualties, um, and then came Hamas. This was a much more violent group than PLO, um, 
but they were just fighting for Palestinian sovereignty. It was the same idea, um, a lot more violent though, and by the early 1990s, it became clear that the Israelis and Palestinians had to make peace. It just couldn't keep going on. So the Oslo Accords were signed. This allowed Palestinians a little bit more freedom and self-government, and uh, the Accords were met with a lot of protests from extremists on both sides, Israelis and Palestinians. Regardless of the extremist views on both sides, there were further attempts at peace, though they did come up empty. So as a result, the second intifada began, and it lasted from 2000 to 2005. This intifada was much more violent than the first one. There were 1,000 Israelis dead and 3,200 Palestinians dead as a result. Israel responded by shifting politics even farther right. They built walls and checkpoints to continue to monitor Palestinian movements, um, and all of their attempts to actually solve the conflict were essentially over by this point. So Palestinians are left feeling like negotiation didn't work, violence didn't work, and now they're stuck under a perpetual occupation with no vision of independence, which is a theme I will also touch on in episode 3. That year, Israel withdrew from Gaza and Hamas gained power in Gaza. So they divided it from the West Bank. And Israel then put Gaza under suffocating blockade and unemployment rises to 40% during that time as a result. In the West Bank, more and more Israeli settlers are smothering the Palestinians. Um, Though protests and violence did break out in these two areas, in response, it was mostly Palestinians that died, so no progress was made. So, as far as present day, Palestinians are still stuck in that state of constant surveillance, of constant occupation, and the protests are still continuing, the violence is still continuing, um, and not many things have changed politically since then. So, as far as the sentiments of the Palestinians and Israel um, population during this time currently, most Palestinian youth says that there will never be a two-state solution. Some think maybe a third intifada is the answer. The international community sees Israeli settlements in Gaza and West Bank as an obstacle to peace. In fact, they're even considered illegal. Um, but most Israelis don't believe that Palestinians even want to live side by side, so they feel like this is the only option. Um, aside from the sentiments of the people, I also want to talk about the facts. I want to talk about exactly what's going on and the denial of human rights that's occurring. People are forced to stay in their homes, and their movements are very limited. There are technology and internet blockouts. There is a shortage of resources, whether that be water or power um, or food. There are shortages of all kinds of resources. Um, and that leads to intense poverty in these areas, especially because the population of Gaza and West Bank are growing very, very quickly. And they're packed into such a small area, which they have literally no escape from. So this has led to a lot of people calling Gaza an open-air prison at this point um, because it is incredibly difficult to travel to and from Gaza. It is very difficult to communicate, um, and 7 out of 10 people there are refugees, and they're traumatized by war. 
um, especially because of the very intense military presence, which seems to never leave. So as I've listed all of those things that are the reality for Palestinians every single day of their life, um, you know, you can see that there's a theme here and it's discrimination. And I just want to highlight some of the ways that this discrimination has become um, extremely ethnically focused. So just to highlight some more injustices that have been occurring in that area, um, the settler colonialism that I mentioned earlier on, where Israeli settlers are going into Palestinian land and making their homes, yeah, that doesn't apply to black Jews. Um, that's a right reserved only for white Jews. Um, so you can see that there is this ethnic discrimination occurring even within one religious group because that's really what this has turned into is an ethnic battle more so than a religious one. Um, there's also an intense um, culture of brutalization of Arab bodies in that area because of that intense military presence. There are protesters obviously getting very, very injured, if not dying, but there are also normal civilians that are living their life, but being reminded that they really don't have control over anything by the tanks that are standing on their street corners. Um, and so that, I think, is a really good segue into talking about prison abolition and what that really means in this scenario. And that is uh, the topic of the third episode, but I want, do want to talk a little bit about it here just to give you an idea of where I'm going with this. Um, so how I ended up really connecting prison abolition to Palestine in the first place was after I started reading about black Palestinian solidarity and this is going to help you understand the next episode a lot more as well because uh, like I told you I'm talking about mass incarceration in the United States which is very heavily racialized in this country Um, there is uh, an element to that of of socioeconomic status Uh, and the first point that I want to make here is that of black palestine solidarity um this is something that i started researching more and more as i decided on discussing palestine first and mass incarceration in the united states second because uh mass incarceration here is a very racialized issue and i'm gonna get into that next time obviously but For now, I just want to highlight the fact that white supremacy and settler colonialism are the foundational ideologies of both the United States and Israel as it relates to mass incarceration and the Palestinian conflict. Um, As a result, there are forms of structural violence perpetuated by these police states uh, that both communities have lived under for decades and continue to endure today. Um, specifically for Palestine, as a result of Israel's apartheid state, Palestinians are systemically disenfranchised, forcefully sterilized, deported en masse, and subjected to excessive police brutality. And we're going to analyze uh, U.S. parallels to that in episode two. 
Um, and then in episode three, I'm going to dig even deeper into how these principles relate to prison systems in Palestine and how prison abolition can seek to lessen and eventually eradicate the horrors that the police state has been inflicting. So, yeah, I hope that this history was helpful in understanding this movement. Um, I hope that I provided some insight on the Palestinian struggle as well as how it relates to the United States and prison abolition. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about how I personally got into prison abolition in the next episode and the one after that, as well as discussing police training, carceral state status, relationship between corporations and prisons, and intersectional resistance. So stay tuned for that. But uh, to conclude this episode, I just want to share some readings with you that I think uh, could be a really good supplement to this episode. First, I have Time to Break the Silence on Palestine by Michelle Alexander. I also recommend The U.S. Like Israel is Wielding the Violence of an Occupying Power by Myra Zonzane, as well as The Police Were Designed to Take Black and Palestinian Lives, Not to Protect Them by Ashraf Gondor. Obviously, there are a ton more, and I'm going to be sharing those with you in the next two episodes. But like I said, these work really well with this podcast episode. Um, I hope that they provide even more insight than I have. Um, And I hope to see you next time. And I hope to see you the time after that. Um, Again, this is a three-episode series. And I'm so glad that you tuned in for the first one. Thank you so much for listening. This was Let's Unpack.